not exactly sure, but probably have in the Ephesian church. And you need to bear in mind that these verses were addressed to Christians who had come to faith in the infamous seaport town of Ephesus. If you've been in the military, you know what, if you're in the Navy in particular, you know what Norfolk, Virginia is like. You know what San Diego, California is like. There's a phrase, swearing like a sailor and behaving like a sailor, right? And San Diego, Norfolk, don't have anything on Ephesus. All right? This is not new. Ephesus was a paradigm of any of the great cities of today's world. London, Berlin, Moscow, Hong Kong, as well as L.A., New York, Chicago, and Cleveland. And in that raunchy city of Ephesus, the dominant religion was the worship of the multi-breasted goddess Diana ritual prostitution as a way of life. It was normative in Ephesian culture. You were expected to live that way. Okay? And so, Paul writes the Ephesian church in their raunchy culture and now warns us in our culture to make sure that Filthiness, 
street ethics, all the purity or covetousness, and then there's speech ethics, all right? And they're all equal, all right? Not one is greater than the other. You need to understand that, according to St. Paul here. And so when he talks about sexual purity, he's talking about sexual behavior, not orientation. It's an important point in our culture as we minister to those with same-sex attraction, all right? Because sexual purity, that word there is porneia. We get the word pornographic from it. And the porneia list of the scripture includes all kinds of sexual ethics outside of marriage between a man and a woman. There's fornication, which is a person's not married and they're having sex with someone, anyone. That's called fornication. If you're doing that, you're a fornicator. Adultery. You are married, and you're having sex with someone who's not your spouse. We all know what that is. There's also homosexuality, behavior, not orientation. Right? We would also add, you know, the pornography addictions that people are, are trapped in today. All kinds of anything outside of the marriage bed is out of bounds for God's that's not where true freedom is going to be found in these behaviors is bondage. Paul doesn't stop there. He says, also, all impurity or covetousness. Covetousness is a jealous longing for what others possess. And he likens that to idolatry. Idols are created things that we place above God. It's all impurity. All impurity or covetousness. When we long for things that others have that we don't to the point that it's obsessive. And we start to act upon it. And the third category is the way we speak. It starts off with filthiness. That is shameful speech, which means using vulgarities, obscenities. Foolish talk. That word foolish is the word moranos. We also get the word moron from it. That's calling people's names. Some politicians could really learn this, all right? <laughs> calling people's names, that's an arrogant posture. We're not to have that type of posture. There's also crude joking. That means telling improper jokes, jokes at other people's expense, telling jokes that are just dirty, you know? Um, it's not to be named. Had Paul been writing today, he'd be calling out TMZ, the tabloid magazines and the grocery stores, you know, many of the, the shows on Netflix, some of the things that people watch, you know, that, that dabble in the lives of the stars. He, he would have prohibition against those types of things as well. And people who participate in those things are literally ignoring the scriptural warning. Notice what he says is not to be named among God's people, and those who do that will not inherit the kingdom of Christ and God. This is life and death, man. Now, I have to tell you, I grew up in the most foul-mouthed culture you could ever imagine. Swearing like a sailor was my neighborhood. All right? It was awful. And, and 
Matt Clark is one of my love languages. All right. I struggle. I struggle not talking smack. All right. So I just confess that to you. But that's no different to the Lord for a fornicator or an adulterer. It's not to be named among God's people. So I thank God I'm not who I used to be. I'm better. So let's all just confess, wherever you find yourself in this, no matter your orientation, look, we all have orientations. I have a smack talk orientation. It's not to be named. It's not to be named among God's people. It is pure. To, to, to look at the Lord and say, I'm just going to behave any way I want to, is like being an Ohio State Buckeye wearing a Michigan uniform saying, I'm going to wear this uniform, but I'm playing for the Buckeyes. <laughs> you can't be done. That blue and maize out of here, right? It's impossible. It's not even recognizable. We're called the holy lives now. And when it comes to those things which are sin in our lives, John Wesley one day went to his mother and said, Hey, mom, what's sin? Now, this is the great evangelist. Since St. Paul, there has not been anyone greater outside of the Redeemer. If John Wesley had been alive, he would have blown some of he was an amazing evangelist. So he went to his mom and said, hey, mom, what's the definition of sin? And she said, all right, son, here's the definition. Write this down. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, and takes off your relish of spiritual things. In short, whatever increases the strength and authority of your body over your mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may be. Like us singing, oh great God, that we just sang. 
great contemporary version of a 300-year-old hymn. It's the same thing that Paul's doing here. And what he's saying is, with that list I've just mentioned to you, it's not to be named among the saved. Awake! Wake up, sleepyheads! Live unto the Lord, not to the world, the flesh, and the devil that we all struggle with. And as we do so, our light will shine because Christ will shine on us. It's a beautiful picture to arise from our dead nature and to live as unto the Lord. Well, how do we do that? He doesn't leave us there. He gives us an idea that he opposes drunkenness with being filled with the Spirit. He says, look carefully then, verse 15, then how do you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always
church meets together to pray together because they've been threatened with their lives. Stop speaking this way or you're going to die. So they get together, they start to pray in Acts 4.31, and the place they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word boldly. There's a kind of filling of the Holy Spirit in which the truth doesn't just shine in a person's life, it blazes. It's a kind of experience of the fullness of the Spirit where there isn't just joy, there's some kind of remarkable power from on high which the Lord supernaturally gives his people to do the ministry they've been called to. That's that second shining example of the Holy Spirit. We see it also in Acts 13, where it says, suddenly Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit and he spoke the word with boldness. In other words, he was leaking. He went to the Lord. Lord, fill us, use us. George Whitfield wrote in his journal, November 22nd, 1740. He wrote, I preached to several thousand people gathered. Can you imagine preaching to several thousand people gathered in one place in 1740 without a microphone? I took ill and I began to vomit. But God's presence so filled my soul that I could hardly stand under it. I prayed and preached prayed again. Everyone listening, listening seemed to be under great and deep impression. Everyone in the crowd sighed and wept. I was overpowered. The next night, he says, my Savior was pleased to give me so much of his presence. My views of heaven were so clear. I longed to be dissolved and to be with him. My soul was so full of love, I wrapped myself up in God. Oh, the misery of those who feel sorry for those people who say, yeah, I'll give my life to Christ later when I'm dying. He's saying, oh, you're missing out. See, we're not talking about some loony fringe here. Alright? This is normal Christianity. It's a ray of glory filling the soul with all of God, all of light, all of love, and all of liberty. It's like the word to Daniel that says, oh man, greatly beloved. Like the word the Savior gave to Mary in the garden when he said her own name, Mary. He so filled her soul that she no longer doubted who he was. How glorious is the filling of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life, my friends. And so what we need to do is like Wes Wesley. See, he wasn't looking for an experience. does, 
services on Christmas Eve, Christmas morning, and I come home, we open up some presents, we eat forever, I'm out for a few hours. And so it's dark by the time we eat Christmas dinner, and so I bring the mechanics light out, you know, those garage mechanics, I've had it for 30 years, so I hang it on one of those shepherd's hooks, and I put it by my grill, and I start to cook up these steaks that we bought from Sebastian's Meats in the West Side Market. It is glorious! pray, Father, you would visit each and every one of us with your presence by us today. We know, Lord, that the faith
really not just basically an intellectual thing. It's not basically a matter of ethics and belief. It's a whole experience of a transformed heart that's needed. And we <coughs> that we might be such a people who exhibit such transformed lives of heart is engaged, oh Father, in the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, descend upon us. Jesus name. Amen. Amen.